welcome to uh, the latest edition of Live on Real Estate. It is September the 18th, 2019. David Hall here with Mr. Chris Pizzoli. Mr. Pizzoli, how are you today? I'm good. DH, how are you? Everything's good. Uh, lots to talk about today. Tons. And a special guest, which is cool, uh, growing realtor in this Metro Detroit market and uh, making his mark on... Um, the, the entire market, but uh, specifically some things that he's doing that we're going to talk about later in the show that are pretty unique. Mr. Matt Talbot. Uh, Mr. Talbot, how are you today? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you, <laughs> that seemed like very like a staged answer. You know what I mean? Like you're going to the press, like Bill Belichick. You know, hey, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate that. I mean, it feels very official. This room is like proper. I need to be yeah. the proper no, response. there's nothing right. official about it. Okay. Right, right. right now, Pizzoli will be the first to tell you that. <laughs> Good deal. Um, we, got, we got a lot of news today. Yeah. And some stuff that's coming out. So it's going to be interesting for folks to listen to this because this is pre-Fed meeting. Fed meeting today at 2 o'clock and um, going to find out what they're going to do. But this is sort of the pre to that, which we thought would be interesting to give it a different dynamic rather than kind of talk about what they did do, talk about what's going on and potentially what they will do. So myself, Mr. Bazzoli, Mr. Talbot are going to uh, break, it out, break it on down. But um, I think... What's interesting, and I want to start the show talking about this topic, everybody's been reporting how rates are low. Rates are low. It's all over the news. Consumers don't really know what that means. They just know rates are low, so then they start asking questions, right? right? But last week, we saw one of the biggest rises in mortgage interest rates in a one-week period in years, which yeah. was really interesting. So the week of what was last week? The 9th, September the 9th. The yep. week of September 9th was like the biggest rise we'd seen in rates, like almost 100 basis points. But they were so low, they're still low. And then early this week, we've we've gotten about half of that back. So, you know, for all the folks out there that are, are saying, nah, I'm just going to wait, you know, rates are going to keep going down. They're going to go down forever. And I've seen this a million times being in the industry. Just thought it was interesting to see they just don't stay low all the time. And what's going to happen after the Fed meeting, we don't know, but this is like our snippet in time right now. Yeah, exactly. It, it, you're right. And time and time, you get sucked in, Yeah. right? I do it. You do it. Everybody does it. Rates are good. Rates are good. They're going to stay good. They're always going to be good. There's talks that they're going to be lower. You know, they're not going up. Right. And lo and behold, out of nowhere, last week hits. And right in like the middle of all of this... You know, the media and, and and the public are always a little behind, right? Yeah. So we're just getting calls. Hey, I hear rates are low. Right. It's like, actually, rates just went up. Right. You know, and they went up three days in a row. And, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's unreal. And, man, yeah, I don't know if you – you probably don't – I mean, because generally rates are still low. You know I mean? So if, if rates went from being at, you know – three and five eighths to three and seven eighths it's not necessarily a huge deal in a in a home buying decision but at the same time um people will feel it and they always feel it when they go up more than they go down yeah that was kind of my question that i had for you guys when that type of spike happens randomly how does that affect the end user on your end because i think more than anything it affects emotions not necessarily the, the exact buying decision at that time but that's right yeah, okay <laughs> yeah but 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 the, i think the question that's interesting to answer it is on refinances it's a bigger deal sure yeah. because of the fact that hey i'm saving x amount so it makes sense on a purchase it's not such a big deal sure 
and always in my career, you know, when people apply for mortgage, they have a choice. They can float or they can lock their rate when they apply. Right. And then any time during the process, they can lock and if they choose to float at the beginning. And it always hurts more when rates go up a little than it feels good than when rates go down. <laughs> right. So I always advise people to lock because if it makes sense, just lock and take it now because otherwise you're just gambling. Sure. Because what the market's going to do tomorrow versus yesterday, we no, nobody knows. And anybody who tells you they do know, uh, they've probably been wrong as much as they've been right. You know, that's just how it works. <laughs> so, I mean, anybody can guess right once in a while. But to your point, on the purchase side, it's not a big deal, although it's always nice to have lower rates. But on the refinance side for consumers that bought last year or the year before, well, it may or may not make as much sense at the end of last week as it did at the beginning of last week. And uh, it was it was certainly a crazy week, even though that story didn't really get reported that no, much. No, no, which is good. We don't, you know. Right, if it gets reported, rates went up a lot. Yeah, and yeah, in, in our business, we don't <laughs> want that news. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was uh, it was quite a week. And uh, what does it say here, Jess? Last week was the worst week in three years? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The worst week in three years. So that was really something else. That is interesting. Uh, on a different note, uh, Black Knight reported, one of the reporting agencies, that more than half of all homeowners in a standard 30-year fixed mortgage are now paying higher interest rates than when we are currently for the 11 million so, so in other words like half people or more need to refinance their mortgage for the most part half the people are paying rates that are higher than the current market correct yeah more I'd than say that's about right more yeah. than half and I, I think that's, right. that's pretty that's a pretty underreported story and the other thing that i wanted to talk about with you guys and this is where i wanted to specifically bring you in matt is so many folks that i talk to like I, I had a guy email me he was interested in refinancing but he didn't think he could because he thought it was too soon Right. And I said, well, when did you buy your house? He said, well, I bought it fall of last year. You know, so I've only been in it a year. I don't know. Can I refinance? Yeah, absolutely. There's really no time period mm-hmm. on refinancing if it makes sense. Now, it's got to it's got to make sense for you. But I think a lot of homeowners are under the impression, okay, I bought my house. So for whatever reason that I don't know, because I don't do this all the time, and it's a fair question from consumers, can I refinance this early? You know, which is a great question. I don't know. Do you get that at all from, from your clients who sure. maybe they bought, you know, because in... 17, 18 rates were higher than they are now. So basically everybody that bought in 17 or 18 probably needs to refinance. And I think that there's ways to get creative with that with certain transactions from the real estate perspective too, um, based on what the future projections are. Um, from time to time, there's there's possibilities to play with those numbers. But yeah, I think people aren't really well-versed on it. And that's why a podcast like this or putting it out in a, in a different um, area than maybe through your standard media is, is good because people will tune in, they'll hear it, they'll say, wow, maybe I could do that. I actually, you know, borrowed money three or four years ago and it's much, much higher. It might make sense, even though I thought I had to be in that mortgage for 10 years or 15 years and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. As far as recommendation, do you guys have a certain like, okay, the rates have changed this much or, um, you know, a certain outline of what needs to happen where it makes sense or... That's a good question, and Chris and I probably think similarly, but there used to be this rule of thumb where you need to save a point, and that's like very, very old school. Okay. Because today, you you may have a number of factors that cause you to potentially want to refinance, So, and we could name them, but if you just talk about straight rate, Mm -hmm. um, I would say that nobody's going to refinance for an eighth of a point or a quarter, but I've seen people do it for three eighths, depending on their loan amount and what the fees are to refinance based on their situation. So many things have changed in our business. And I'll just give you one little example in the old days when I started and when Chris started, 
Everybody had to have an appraisal. Today, 20% of the refinances we do, we get an appraisal waiver. Sure. So that's a cost that the consumer doesn't have to absorb anymore on a refinance that they used to have to absorb. So that means that your spread mm-hmm. of what you need to save is thinner because you don't have as much cost in the transaction. That's right. just one thing. But sure. there's so many things, PMI, people have you know less than 20% equity. They're trying to get more equity and or they want to tap into a little bit of that equity so the spread and the rate doesn't make as much difference. Right. People don't typically, this, I think people would find this fascinating listening to the podcast. In my career, and Chris, I think you'd agree with this, I would say that 50% of more of people that refinance, it's not just for the straight rate. There's no. some other right. reason that they're refinancing their mortgage because there's sort of a big five or six reasons, including tapping into equity and getting rid of PMI and a few other things. But there's usually more than just the rate that's involved in why people are doing it. Yeah, there's usually, well, the, the rate is one piece. But yeah, I mean, and that's something we've always been taught, right, is, is get to understand and know people and find out the emotional reason is behind what's going on. Right. You know, then you once you really know why someone's trying to do something, very rarely is it that you know i'm at four and a half and i need to be at three and seven eighths and that is it nothing else nothing else to talk about here that's all there is it's not true there's 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 emotional reasons what's going on i actually so i always say that on the real estate side of things you have the business side of a real estate transaction when you're selling your home and you have the emotional side and sometimes in a lot of cases i would say at least 40 percent of the time the emotional decision actually outweighs the business decision, right? So as an agent, I can show you the numbers, I can run CMA for you, I can show you all the comps, I can show you exactly why it makes business sense to move or not move and what the home's worth, but there's still an emotional attachment to a home um, or any major decision. Yeah, I would say your side of it is even more emotional, certainly, than our side. Our side is probably leans more to the business, Um, but yeah, my God, so much emotion with buying and selling. You'll appreciate this as an agent that's doing a lot of business. When I first started in the business, and my mentor uh, in the beginning of my career, Stephen Luigi Piazza, who's a great guy, um, and uh, he's just, he had an impact on a lot of people, but what he told me in the very beginning when I was like, you know, I said, Piazza, all these, these people are so upset. You know, what's going on? You know, they, they, they didn't get the, the furniture in the PA that they thought they were. He's like, DH, let me explain something to you. When people purchase a home, they are temporarily insane. Yeah. That's what he used to always tell me. They're temporarily insane when they purchase a home. And I always remembered that from the standpoint of that, not in a bad way, in a good way. It's like right. we're talking to people who it becomes very emotional sure. to your point. Yeah. And, and now you're dealing with that. And you probably yeah. deal with that all the time where people probably say things they don't mean. <laughs> they do things that they wish they hadn't have done. I mean, you probably sure. see it every day. Yeah, and it's a big reason why, why I do this business. I think um, to actually help people, not just through the business side, but the emotional side and making sure they understand the other perspective, whether it's a listing or a buyer, right? To really understand the other perspective is super important. Um, I think the best transactions that happen is when both agents are working together, both parties are working together to come to uh, to find common ground. Right? How, how often do you get questions about rates? Not necessarily like, hey, just generally like, hey, what do you think about interest rates or rates are lower? I mean, how much does that play into like what your conversations with clients? I know you probably redirect them, but yeah. So daily, right? Almost every day I'll get a question regarding a rate. Now in specifics, not like that, but what's the market going to do? What What's going to happen uh, next year? Does it make sense to buy a home now? And right. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's very situational, right? So I try to give that emotional answer, in essence, because it's the truth. Like, what's your situation? Are you forced to move in three years? Are you forced to move in 10 years? Is it your forever home, right? Um, Are you retiring? There's a a lot of variables in there that 
that take place to that. So that's why I kind of defer to. And then my recommendation is based off of that, yeah. right? I mean, money is very cheap right now. So from that perspective, it checks that box, right? It, it, you know, these, these indexes that come out and they say, you know, that uh, more people are going to purchase a home when rates are at this level than they're at that level. And I think if we drew an example and said, are more people probably prone to buy a house with it, if rates are three and a half than they are at seven and a half? Sure. There's probably some truth in that sure. because of the fact that they can get more, they can afford more. But sometimes we get these swings from like, you know, four and a quarter to three and seven eighths. And I always think that that's so funny. Like, I don't think people are moving based right. on a three eighths percentage movement in sure. rates. But it, it certainly helps when you've got more purchasing power because rates are low. And we've seen people, because rates are so low, paying a point or two to buy it down even lower because right. they feel like, well, this is my dream rate, right? right. I'm never right, right, right. I'm never going to be able to ch- chance to get three and a quarter again, which historically is probably true. Right. Um, and so they do that, and there's an opportunity, and I don't know if you want to speak to that, but there's, there's all this opportunity right now because of how low rates are. And then, well, we could talk about the flip side of that in a second, too. Yeah, well, it kind of ties into what we were saying. I mean, everyone's situation is different, right. you know, and... I think what we do really, really well is I think we try to figure out what makes the most sense for your situation right now. Because you and I could talk about buying that rate down, and it might be the worst decision in the world. Sure. You know, if you're thinking of moving in five years, what's the point of investing, you know, if you're, right. if you're not going to see the benefit of it? Whereas other people simply, you know, th- their situation's different. It makes mm-hmm. all the sense in the world. Some people just flat out want a low rate. You know, even if it maybe doesn't make sense or it's kind of borderline, you know, we have people that are like, okay, well, let's do it. I want that rate. I want the three and a half percent, you know, and there's yeah. tons of different reasons. So. Outside of that, from the real estate perspective, what people don't see um, is they're always worried about the rate, but they have no idea what the service aspect is right. of the mortgage industry. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to say, I told you so, or not been able to say, I told you so, but they look me in the eye like, there's <laughs> reasons why we have preferred lenders that yeah. we work with, yeah. right? There's reasons why we recommend certain companies. Um, obviously, you guys do a fantastic job, um, and, and we don't have to worry about it. Now, it's not always the case with other lenders, and you don't realize that until the end or the middle of the transaction when it's just a complete shitstorm. Yeah. And people don't understand that. They have no idea. So I think just like anything else, when you purchase something, whether it's a mortgage, a car, or whatever, right, you should use referrals, use references, understand the people that are in that world um, and listen to, to the people that are giving so, you advice, right? So, right. Well, it, I, you know, what reminds me of is the last time we went and, um, and used Spirit Air, you know, because I was <laughs> like, all right, I'm doing it. You know, we're going to Florida. We're going, we're going economy. We're going budget this year. Yeah. And, you know. Halfway in, I'm just like, what the hell is this? This is a disaster. I think, so. I think, I think Spirit Air, you know, is is uh, they've got a market, but they do. Sure. The market probably isn't for you anymore. Uh, you know well, what I mean? you know, it actually it actually wasn't that bad. You know, then the thing is, is that time goes by, you know, and you forget. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens. You forget. Maybe it wasn't so bad. Well, the thing is, is that whether it be Spirit Air or you know, in, in, in my view, you know, some of the way that the banks handle things is, you know, I think what people assume is that it all is going to go well. Sure. Right. But some institutions just have a higher commitment and prioritization to hitting closing times and service. And that's just, you know, this, I've always said, you know, I've, I've been in the business now, Chris and I have both been in the business 25 years, a long time. And the, the thing is, is that some institutions just have a higher commitment to the prioritization of the service to the consumer and the agent 
than others. Sure. It doesn't mean the others don't want to close your loan. Right. It's just not really that important to them because they're working on commercial financing. Right. They're working on small business loans. They're trying to manage money for their wealthy clients. And it's not like they don't care if it doesn't close. It's just not prioritized. It's not at the top of their food chain. Whereas if you come to a place like Hall Financial or other institutions that just do mortgage like we do, Chris Pizzoli wakes up every morning and like everything's got to happen right. Sure. And anything that's like not going great, he'll call me to get involved so that it does. So like, And that's our whole prioritization scheme. Right. Consumers don't always understand that. It's the same way with, with other you know businesses. And I'm sure you see it with other real estate agents. You got... Sure part-time agents that do stuff here and there and if they close a deal that's cool and then you got you you got a business plan you got a focus you're all over it your clients are the most important thing in your career and it's just a whole different way of going about things yep and and like you said those people don't realize that they're temporarily insane sometimes <laughs> during that process <laughs> yeah, right? right so right. so when things go south at the wrong time it's not good yeah. all right well, we haven't totally even gotten right. the fed yet We've, i mean okay fed big 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 doings here with the fed um it's it's one of the i've been telling people i got interviewed for a couple things and i it's one of the most unique times in my opinion in history where you've got the president Sort of telling the Fed what they're going to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it, and and in the, I mean, the economy. You know, if you look at a lot of aspects of the economy right now, it's going well. Um, you know, people are spending money. Consumer confidence is pretty high. Unemployment is low. I could go on and on and on. And yet, you know, I don't know if it's great foresight from the president and some other folks, which you could argue it is a little bit that you know he's telling the Fed we got to cut rates to keep things going. And I just think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic if and when the Fed cut rates. And, and today at 2 o'clock, they're supposed to cut sure. a quarter. We'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, how that's going to impact things. And, and that doesn't always mean that mortgage interest rates go down. Uh, it does um, predominantly over time as the Fed has lowered rates. Mortgage interest rates have come down as the Fed has raised. But it doesn't always happen in lockstep because the markets usually price that in. Right. But it's just going to be, a, I think, a real interesting time if the Fed does cut today, which they, they are reported that they're going to do, then what they say and what they do next and how much influence the president has on that, I think it's fascinating to it's watch. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It really, really is. And you're right. It, we don't see the dollar-for-dollar dollar, you know, impact, right. which, which is obviously something that I think you know, everybody kind of struggles with, right? It's like they cut rates a quarter. What right. do you mean rates didn't go down? It's like, well, they didn't. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and the and the president's the, the Fed funds doesn't impact mortgage interest right. rates until it trickles there through the market, basically. Right. Basically, correct, correct. Um, but you're right. The president's impact, you know, and you're, I don't ever remember a president anywhere near involved this involvement, this level of involvement. No, there's always been kind of this invisible wall that right. they don't go through. Yeah, you know, right. you don't remember. I don't ever remember. Obama or Clinton or Bush or anybody yeah. saying, hey, this is what the Fed needs to do. And by the way, Fed, you're dropping the ball. <laughs> That's what's going on right now. Yeah, it's now. nuts. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, nobody talked to Greenspan that way. Yeah, no, no, no. But Jay Powell, he's getting an earful, I'll right. tell you. I have a question. Is yeah. that because Trump is a businessman? Like, do you think that because, like, he has a background in business and not so much politics that that's why he's so involved? Well, I, I think he's involved because he likes to be involved in everything. Right. But, Fair. But I think that to the degree that he has some credibility potentially in this issue where he doesn't look like he doesn't know what he's talking about, that 
people maybe think that the Fed should lower rates. But to your point, I think it's I don't think it's as much about he has credibility. That's why he's doing it. He just kind of does what he wants. And if you look at, you know, again, other presidents, they didn't really venture into this territory. And it was always sort of this unspoken. I mean, there's no reason not to, although it kind of looks like you're manipulating the system a little bit when the president's telling you to lower rates right. because it's good for him, you know. So, yeah. But this is a, we're in unprecedented times when it comes to how the president uh, behaves and does things, and so you know, True. I mean, that there, there's no mystery around that. Some people think it's great, some people don't, but it sure is unprecedented. There's no doubt about that. Good question, by yeah. the way. And I don't want to go off on a tangent, but does it go back after Trump? Does it go back to your your more kind of tight-lipped, you know, tight suit? Uh President? yeah, I think it does. I mean, don't you? I don't would, you think I, I this would is have like to imagine it can't keep going? This is this like way. an EKG that goes like this, yeah. and Trump goes beep, and then it goes back to normal. <laughs> you hope, know what I mean? I, I hope this this uh, this election I think is going to be very very close. Yeah. I, I really do think it's still going to yeah. be very close. It'll be interesting, that's for sure. A long time to go, and there's yeah. all these players involved, so we'll love sure. to see what happens. By the way, the next Fed meeting uh, is October 30th. So okay. after we. You know, today it's about 40 days, and then that's the next Fed meeting, and uh, we'll be reporting on all that uh, for sure. So anyway, um, a lot of news, so we had to get through the news. Definitely. Um, Want to talk with you, Mr. Talbot, about your business, how things are going, sort of, you know, you're on the streets every day dealing with people, and you can sort of bring the real-life information back to our listeners in terms of how's business, how's the market generally how is third quarter here in Metro Detroit? How's fourth quarter shaping up? I want to get into all that. What's on your mind today? Yeah, things have been uh, things have been good. The last couple months we were talking about earlier was kind of like surviving a hurricane. It, it was uh, it was super super busy, um, which is which is fantastic. I think as a whole, the market is still super super strong from my experience in the business. Um, certain price points in certain areas might have softened up a little bit, but if you actually look at the sale price. Um, of homes on average, I mean, they're still continuing to rise in most of the areas that I've done some research on. Um, the days on market might be a little bit longer, but they're still continuing to rise. So, you know, some of these changes with the interest rate and people, obviously, the bigger predictions of the economy as a whole are the questions that people have. Um, but from a real estate perspective in today's world, I mean, in, in my opinion, things are very, very strong. What so. pieces of the market are strong? I mean, everything that I hear is the million dollar plus market's a little weaker. The first time home buyer market's very strong. There's a lot of activity, but is that still the case? I don't know. Is that how you break it down? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And in, in a certain places, again, I, I work in a lot of different cities um, throughout Southeast Michigan here. So, um, you know, I follow specific markets a little bit closer than others, but even north of 500 in some areas that might have sold a little bit faster take a little bit longer. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, some of that, obviously, this time of year slows down. Kids are going back to school and stuff like that. But anything south of that is still crazy bidding wars and, and, and super, super busy, in my opinion. So. so for somebody who's busy like you, who's building a huge business, how do you, how do you fight against the seasonality? Because it, it feels like <laughs> that everybody always just says, well, you know, spring and summer are busy, and then the winter gets kind of you yeah. know, slower. And, but there's a certain amount of control that you can do to dial up business. I mean, what are you doing, and what, what are your thoughts on seasonality just in general? I think uh, the whole outline to that really has to do with putting in the work all year round, right? If you're doing the right things, the thing that I love about this business, and not trying to brag or anything, but when you have a quote-unquote pipeline or just lots of clients to work with, right? 
they're going to be moving throughout the year. So it turns into, I don't need you to buy a home today. I don't care if it's today, right. next year, 12 years, I need to be a resource for the community. Yeah. And when you're reaching enough people, you're doing the right thing in enough places, it turns into just, hey, whenever people are ready to move, we're here to be a resource for you. We'll connect the dots. We'll put you in front of the right people, make sure it's a fun, smooth process, make sure to negotiate for you, do a rock star job from a marketing standpoint. But I think it's all about putting in the work ahead of time where I'm not worried about if someone moves it. Like if a couple deals change and like, yeah, we're going to wait till next year. We're going to wait five years. I don't care. That's fine. Um, I'll be a resource for you in the meantime. So to me, that's any sales role. I think um, building a quote unquote pipeline or just having the right network of, of people. Um, it kind of all works out, right? You'll be busy in the winter and you'll be busy in the spring. You'll be busy in uh, all, yeah. all year round to a certain right. extent. So. so I like that term, a resource for the community. How do you sort of position that? And what, what I mean, obviously, what you are in the business of doing is helping people buy homes and helping them sell their homes. But is there more behind that? Yes. So uh, like we talked about earlier, I, I really think that there's a business side of real estate transaction, an emotional side of real estate transaction, everything in between. As a realtor, right? Like you said, we are in the streets. We literally are, in my opinion, the voice of the community. There's very few jobs that network with as many different professions, that network with as many different people and understand them on a personal level. Um, so for me to help out in any way, shape or form that I can with my clients, with the community, whether it's real estate related or not, um, is super, super important. So as I scale my team and as I scale my business, a lot of my biggest initiatives are going to be built around that. Not necessarily like, hey, how many more clients can I get? How many? How much more business can I get? How can I truly help people? And the rest will work itself out. So, you know, in, ter in our business, we talk about added value. So when I, early on in, the, in my career, one of the things that I learned is uh, consumers were always had questions about what happens after the mortgage closes, right? Because my mortgage could stay with you, it could be sold. The nature of the market is that your mortgage might be transferred to somebody else and you make the payment. And I, I learned very early on that people thought it was a great benefit if I said, no matter where your mortgage goes, I want you to call me. Sure. And if we have to call some 800 number, we're going to call together mm -hmm. and we're going to conference them in. I'm not going to leave you alone wondering what's going on. Cause, and I, I found that people, they, they felt um, less anxiety because yeah. of the fact that we you know created a... Re I'm just curious, like from your point of view... How else do you, like, what, give me an example of, like, added value outside of, hey, I'm going to help you buy a house and I'm going to help you sell your house. Because as a resource in the community, there's probably things that you're doing that are helpful to people, whether it be, I, I'm making this up, helping them out with, like, why their taxes went up or whatever it is. Sure. I'm just curious, like, what kind of things that you do specifically that people find beneficial? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's the, the real estate-related questions after after they buy the home, right? Yeah. Hey, how do I do, the, do this home warranty? How do I do this? How do I do that? And sometimes there's a lot of added questions. I had a client um, call me the other day kind of upset based on um, some stuff she found on the home that was completely unrelated to the actual real estate transaction and everything. So in essence, you become friends with these people, yeah. right? And so, so whether it's just a simple conversation to calm them down and help them, you know, put one foot in front of the other to find a solution to, right. towards something, or it's, hey, I need help at the community softball event, or I need help at this. We actually, I have a video coming out on the Rotary in Plymouth does a, um, a chicken dinner for the fall festival. It's a big thing every year. They do like 10,000 chicken dinners. Chicken dinner. And so for, for, for me, what I, what I try to do is I try to create value around that to showcase that to the community because it's an awesome thing. So I use the, the resources I have available from a video standpoint. I do some goofy videos. It's 
the brand is called Moving Motown. So my goal is to provide value to the community through Moving Motown. And that's exactly the idea behind it is to move the city, not from a real estate perspective, but from a positivity perspective. When you talk about all the negativity on the internet, all the different BS that you see when you log in online, I wanna put positive stuff in the community. And Southeast Michigan, Detroit, the area as a whole is really an awesome place to live. It's an awesome place to buy a home. It's an awesome place um, to have your family in and, and to showcase that to the community is, 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 is awesome. So, so this is wow. the opposite yeah. of like trolling people on Twitter. It's, it sounds like, yeah, <laughs> it's the opposite. That's good. That's trolling awesome. on Twitter is bad. Right. Moving the community is good. I agree. That's that's the plan. That's the plan. You know, chicken by the way, dinner, huh? yeah, chicken dinner. Chicken and Wait, winter, 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 you got to tune into that. You got to tune into that one. Uh, uh, Rich, my broker is actually, uh, he's one of the main people when in that video. When is it? I'll, I'll, uh, that'll be released uh, this weekend, either Friday or Saturday. Okay, gotcha. So we okay. just got the final product we back got in the video. Here. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, no one knows. Uh, so you're, you're the first to hear. What percentage, <laughs> this is my obscure question. Every podcast, I have some obscure question that has nothing to do with the <laughs> notes. It just comes to me. What percentage of people these days have, like, home security systems? Is it high or is it low? I mean, I don't even know anymore. Oh, yeah. So uh, less, like— A lot of people have home security. Less security security systems, a lot more cameras. Less, oh. Yeah, I would agree with that. More cameras, less security? Yeah, and as a realtor, it's interesting. Like, I always have to be, like, super shady. I'll be talking to a client about the deal, and I'm like, let's step outside. They're like, why? We're in the living room. And I'm like, let's step outside. And it's, like, super awkward, but a lot of those things record, right? So we step outside. I have to go in the middle of the driveway or to the road to make sure that I don't want to negotiate about this house when they're literally listening from their cell phones. There's a lot of cameras now, that the Nest and all that type of stuff. Yeah, and they've got cameras now that don't appear to be cameras right yeah exactly. yeah you yeah, see door- that one in the doorbell no there's a camera in the doorbell yeah and it activates to your phone yes. so if someone rings oh, the doorbell oh you can see who's at see, your door you see right there who's at your door yeah. yeah absolutely see i don't have enough time for all that but i as i as i get yeah. towards my retirement years i'm gonna start putting cameras everywhere doorbells <laughs> every room yeah. and i'm just gonna sit at mission control and just watch all the cameras <laughs> david's People going will be like hey hall what are you doing today i'm just watching things full just keeping full an eye james on bond right? yeah. full james bond <laughs> everything <laughs> My brother-in-law at his restaurant, whenever we're, like, somewhere, you know, he pulls up his phone real quick, and he's like, uh, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I take a look at it, and you can see the dining room and the kitchen, the right. this and the that. And yeah. yeah. My so, mom does it with her antique shop, obsessed. Yeah. I'm, like, at dinner, and she's, like, looking at her, what are you doing? I'm just watching the shop. There's a lot of people in there right now. I'm, like, I, I get that there's some expensive things in there, but, yeah. like, come on, that's it's, it, that's it's there for a reason if they steal something we'll have them on camera that's uh that's let's true. go back to life yeah <laughs> don't need to watch it you're gonna know what happened right. so tell walk us through um because i'm i'm always curious uh to give people an inside look the realtor life is like this glamorous life that you know you're <laughs> selling you know billion dollar homes yeah. luxury pools that's not what it is convertible no. and so like i like to kind of go inside like kind of what were your goals for the year how are you doing on the way to your goals? What yeah. Just kind of take us through like what you had set out to do this year and how you're doing. Um, so, yeah, I had some financial goals from revenue standpoint, unit standpoint, stuff like that. So you obviously track that. I think any good agent needs to hone in on their business, obviously. There's a lot of marketing dollars spent and stuff like that. So you need to understand your business. Um, I set a very lofty stretch goal that we're close to hitting. We'll see here. So things are going well with that. Good. Um, I set a unit goal. 
Um, what's interesting about that one is the cost per unit is actually significantly higher than I initially anticipated. So ho hopefully I don't need as many units to hit the revenue goal. But that stuff's all about running a business, right? T to me, as far as my, my personal goals, it's about building my team, adding to my team, and making sure that they're set up for success and, and becoming successful, right? So um, we're, we're slowly gro growing the team there. So those goals are working out well. And then like I talked about, the community goals to me is the biggest piece. As I grow the real estate business, how can I give back to the communities that I work in, whether it's Detroit, whether it's um, Ann Arbor area, north of the city, any, anywhere in the Southeast Michigan area, I want to provide value to people. If anyone has anything for me, please give me a call. I'm happy to do it. What are the two or three biggest things that prior to this year you weren't doing or things you weren't thinking or philosophically things that occurred to you? Like one or two things just that have kind of happened to you this year that have you thinking differently about your business? The, the biggest thing is that I continue to hone in on. It, it's, it's right. The right thing is always the right thing. And I know that sounds like such a cliche thing to say, but, but the right thing always plays out. And although I am good at lead generation and the business side and the marketing side and stuff like that, in my opinion, to, to generate new clients, that's great. But how do I really hone in on those relationships? I finished a book a little while ago and it, it said, um, friends, not funnels. And I think that's a very important, important piece is to really, like you said, David's taught me this from the start. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations um, outside of the real estate world. And, and you've always told me, hey, if you really take care of your clients before the sale, during the short sale, and most importantly, after the sale too, you're not going anywhere. That's how your business truly grows. And that's how you've seen success. We've had, yeah. we had a, a long lunch conversation. I asked you, hey, like, what do you recommend? And we, we talked about a few things and to really hone in on that piece of really giving a shit about people in a world where I don't think a lot of people necessarily do. They look at people as a number or a business transaction they move on but when you actually give a shit about the person that you're working with it's amazing what happens it's amazing that all of a sudden you're working with their cousin or their grandfather or whoever too yeah. and it, that's not why you do it you do it because it's the right thing and the rest will work itself out so you is your referral business growing yes yeah. and it's, it's interesting too because it's like it, it, it's fun when that happens right it's a much different conversation it doesn't feel salesy i don't like sales i like to help people right. i like to coach people right. through a real estate transaction i don't like to sell them on anything um i like the marketing to speak for itself and then to coach them through the process to make sure we do a great job yeah well i mean you you're you, you run a business right i mean it's not it's not a it's not a non-profit it's for for-profit sure. business and it has to be but it's so much more enjoyable when it runs that way mm -hmm. versus like you said mining and lead generation and i mean i don't know anybody that likes that sure you know what i mean, I mean yes. it, to some degree it's a necessary evil but when you, when you can do things the right way and have your business truly take care of you because you care that much, mm -hmm. you enjoy so much more what you do. Right. I mean, it's just, and, and it shows and you're, you're better at it mm -hmm. because you enjoy it. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's like night and day. It really is. So that's awesome. But the, the, the thing that the, everybody would want to have referral business, everybody would want to have their, um, a referral of your brother, the sister, whoever it is. But the work that you got to put in sure. to get that business is the undesirable part. The early morning return of a text quickly to somebody or the late night picking up their call at 730 when they've got a question. Yeah. The stuff that leads to the referral business is stuff nobody wants to do. Sure. And it's the real work. And so, you know, we all go, oh, hey, I want to get referral business. I don't want to have to make cold calls anymore. I mean, that's kind of in, in any sales, doesn't matter what you do all over the country. You go from one day you had to do cold calls to a day way, way, way in the future <laughs> where you actually get a lot of referral business. You don't have to do that anymore. 
and the steps of all the work you have to put in and the hours you have to commit to get from there to there, it's it's pretty pretty big. Then people say you're yeah. lucky at that point. Oh, you're just lucky. Yeah, right. You're yeah. Lucky right. Yeah, right. There's no such thing as luck. Yeah. But even the work that you have to do is still, in my opinion, way better than the cold calls. I mean, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Would, and would, when you, when oh, you do yeah. it that way, that's exactly it. It yeah. feels right. The other day yes. I was trying to uh, – um, my client was having trouble getting her daughter was enrolled in school, but getting in getting her into the right classes, right? And I happened to, to know people that had worked in this district, and so I connected her with the right counselor. I got all that right. information for, her, and I put her in front of the right person when school was starting. It was a hard thing to do, right? But that extra, like most people would have been like, "Well, if she can't figure it out. She can't figure it out, right?" <laughs> and I'm not saying like I'm. It's just doing the right thing at that time. Yeah. Did it make any? financial sense for me to do that and spend two, three hours that day working on that? No, it would have made a lot more sense for me to call, you know, 50 people on the phone. Right. right. But instead doing that to me feels better, feels right. makes me feel more fulfilled. And I, and I think long-term that type of, uh, that type of situation will play so out. So this is like the errors and omissions part of the show where I missed a big topic earlier. So we're going to double back real quick because <laughs> I am very fired up about this subject. And when this came out, was it yesterday or the day before, Jess? Day before. Day before. Um, Average FICO in the United States is at an all-time record high. And uh, so the average FICO score uh, today in the United States of America is 706, which is the highest it's ever been. Uh, And the average score basically jumped 20 points uh, since 2009, and they attributed job growth, economic expansion, and increase in consumer education about scores that help improve the score. And I think that's all nonsense. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> Back in 1998, a 680 score was considered really good. Yeah. And if you had above a 680 score, you could do anything you wanted. And then as the years went on and difficult economic times hit and some other challenges, the credit score criteria got raised in terms of what you had to do to get what you wanted to get. So today, fast forward Let's call it just 20 years from from when 680 was a good score. Today, 760 is the new 680. Right. They raised the score basically 80 points on what is a good score. Now, you can still get things at a 720 or a 740, but if you're a 698 or a 701 and you call around to places to try and buy things, they don't think you're such a great score at those numbers, which if you're older like me, you know that's a good score based on history. Interestingly enough about this whole thing, because I think when they say job growth, economic expansion, and increased consumer education about scores is hope to ever average improve. That's not what happened. <laughs> they said you got to do better. And so people started doing better. And th- by the way, the score is not kept up with the standard. So 680 used to be really good. Your average score, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years ago was 686. Now 76. So we're slowly creeping towards that score. But I just find this to be fascinating because if all of a sudden lenders all over the country, my opinion, came out and said 780 is the new high bar, you got to get to 780, and then people started knowing, hey, you got to get to 780, I think scores would go up again because sure. people would take it more seriously. Now, there are other things that have helped, but I don't know that there's been this great revolution of consumer education on credit score that has caused scores to go up i don't know about consumer education i would say consumer awareness you don't think consumers were aware in the 90s that they needed a high score i don't think your credit score in general was as widely publicized 
In the I 90s. think we might think that because we were young then and we're old now. I don't know that, that 20, be true. 20 year old people today, I don't know that they know a whole lot more about how important their Maybe credit score right. is. Maybe I mean, right. I don't the know. The only thing I could think of that might take place is the internet changed a lot of things, right? It did. So there is yeah, a lot more. True. Good point. Maybe I'm a millennial talking, but there's a lot true. more information yeah. at hand. So if you are diving into it, maybe. It's actually a great point. That yeah. could okay, so we could attribute. So something positive <laughs> the internet did. Yeah, we just internet. found I'm it. I'm trying to look for something positive right. in this. Okay. All right, no. here's where we go to uh, quick email questions. And, Matt, we have the guest ask Chris and I the email questions. So you now transition to host. Okay. That's how this works. When thinking about refinancing, should uh, what should your biggest focus be? Did I read that right? When thinking about refinancing, <laughs> what yes, should you be your biggest focus? Very good job as host. How do you feel like you did there, Matt? Fantastic. Fantastic. So I think the, I rephrased the front sentence, but, you know, either way. The biggest focus in refinancing, I'll let Chris give his opinion, is – making sure that it all makes sense. Somebody can do a no-cost refinance and save $25 a month, and if there's literally no cost to it, that makes sense if you're saving 25 bucks a month. Now, it shouldn't cost you $2,000 to save $25 a month because that doesn't make any sense. So to me, the answer to the question is, does it make sense? So many people shop till they drop. They're calling 10 different lenders, and pretty soon it doesn't even make sense anymore because they're spending so much time on it. But if somebody calls you and says, hey, if you invest you know, $1,500 in a refinance and you're going to save $150 a month, that makes a lot of sense. So to me, it's all about making sense. Yeah, I would say that that is definitely true. My, where I was going initially, and you kind of touched on it too, was, was you know, having a goal. Having like yeah. some sort of a of a like this is what I want to accomplish or yeah. this is what you know why I'm entering into this conversation. I think a lot of times people have zero idea. So I heard rates are down. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And you know it's like yeah. Like what are, what are we talking about? Well, that, what do you that do? and a lot of times people are looking for you to sort of yeah, tell them true. what they should do because Correct. based on the fact that they've heard that well, news. Well, yeah, and that actually yeah goes on too. Is just sort of having an open mind too because sometimes people don't necessarily want to hear right. You know when. We tell them that, you know, look, maybe going to a 20-year loan actually makes a lot more sense for you. But, you know, so Which, just I would say having a goal and maybe just uh, yeah, an open mind or listening to options. I don't think people are options. fair enough to share the, the full story, right? They're always yeah. scared they're going to get sold on something True. or they're always – and then eventually when they get to know you, like, okay, I yeah. can trust this guy. I'm, th this is why I'm really looking at it. Then yep. the solution comes. Shortening the term big in today's market. Huge. Big. A lot of people shortening the term. Smart move. Go ahead, Matt. Be, You're the host. What is a good credit score for a mortgage? Well, I just happen to have that right here. <laughs> oh, it's not 680? Not anymore. Oh, damn. <laughs> so just, it's, I think people will find this interesting. 760 and higher with almost every major institution in the country is how you get the very best of the best. And then 740 or higher is very close to that. 720 or higher is close to that. And then you start to get into, you know, it's funny as I think it is, you know, somebody with a 713 or 704, which is not a poor credit score by any means, but lenders have turned into credit snobs. I yeah. mean, that's that's just the way of the world right now. And so you got to take care of your score. But yep. 760 or above is that premium landmark. Yep. 760. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, how long does it take to issue a pre-approval? Dun, 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 dun. That's a million-dollar question. Depends right on the lender. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does not take long if you have all of your documentation available. Um, I mean, if you've got pay if if you're a W two employee, even if you're self employed, if you have tax returns or W twos, a pay stub, some some bank statements, we can get you pre-approved in a matter of moments. Yeah. It really. It, can. it really. I mean, my answer would be. 
less than a day if you really want to do it properly. Right. If somebody tells me their situation in five minutes and they're really put together, I got an 800 score. I've been working at Ford for 30 years and I make 100 grand. I want to buy a $150,000 house and I've got 50 grand in the bank. Yeah, that guy's pre approved. Yeah, you're sure. done. There's but more to talk about. usually there's more to it than that. And nobody has a situation that's that simple in the lending business. Every loan's got a little hair on it, as we like to say. Uh, nothing's real clean. So um, anyway, yeah, pre-approval's very – it's not a long time, though. I think I think the average consumer might think it takes a long time no, or right. some lengthy time to get pre-approved. People, on my end, that's I, I see that a lot, right? People always think, like, well, how long does that take? I'm like, you need to get pre-approved before I can show you this. Home. Right. Yeah. That, that's a conversation we have a lot, right? Yeah. Well, how long does that take? Well, if you have your ducks in a row, it should take a day or yeah. less. Yeah. Right. We can get it done today, most exactly. likely. So. Exactly. Definitely. Um, what's a point? That's a good question. It's a good question for David. It's that you replace a with the. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. This question, I believe, is in relation to basis points. Right. So, Uh, well, well, one point is one percentage of your loan amount. So if you have a $100,000 loan, and let's say that you're going to pay a point to buy down your rate, that's $1,000 on $100,000. So on a million, it's $10,000. So it's 1% of the loan amount, which very oftentimes will either be charged in a fee, if there's a fee involved with the loan, or as buying down the rate so you can get a lower rate by paying a point or two points. It's just a percentage of the loan amount. And as typical with everything in our business, if it makes sense, sometimes you'll do that. And right. and I don't want to get into too much technicality, but I'll just give an exaggerated example. Some days, 4% on a mortgage interest rate might cost zero points. But you could get three and a half for one point. That's a pretty wide spread in rate to get for a point. So people would potentially do that, especially if they're going to be in their house for a long time. So if you're dealing with somebody with your mortgage that knows what they're doing, they spend an inordinate amount of time, like I do, checking the spreads every day. What's the spread? What's best for the consumer? How do we like create value for them by getting them into the mortgage that's priced properly by the street? And we look at that stuff. And yeah. sometimes it's what's more important, right? Money up front or your monthly payment, right? right. I mean, that's, 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 right. A, right. that's a direct correlation. There's a lot of answers to that question. Yeah. Like when you're talking about buying the rate down a point, is really it's an investment. It's prepaid interest. I'm going to invest X amount of dollars in prepaying this amount of interest up front for the opportunity to have this lower rate for the life of the loan. That's right. And then there's a break even, a cost, you know, to that equation. What is the federal fund rate? I think it's a two and a quarter right now, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's a two and a quarter going to go to two. Fed funds rate is basically how banks lend each other money. Right. And then that trickles down to everything else. But by the time everybody listens to this show... It's probably going to be two. Are you on board that the Fed is lowering today, by the way? Yeah. You, you think so? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it'd be a big surprise, I think, if they did It'd didn't. be very shocking if they didn't. Yeah. Market in turmoil. It would really screw us up. So yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. What, what do you got, Matt? You got, a, uh, you got a prediction on the Fed? They're lowering? Agreed. I'm going to go with your prediction. Okay. That's, uh, yeah. Use your resources. Yeah. Well, listen, guys. Great show today. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Uh, and if, thanks for putting us on camera. This is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. we got to give this guy a little cred. Let's let's talk about your photographer here. Right. Uh, shout out to Chris. Chris. For stopping in today. He's and, got uh, triple cameras some. in here. Look at that. One That's of right. them looks like it's from, like, the, the NASA spaceship, yeah. you know, one of these cameras. It's Eventually, point, I'll catch a good angle. That's, what, that's really what I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, is this your full-time gig? Yeah. yeah. yeah we might have to have this guy do a little work with us. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Jess, thank you so much. 
great notes, and uh, we'll see everybody next month because we're now doing a monthly podcast. Right. Live on Real Estate, David Hall, Chris Pizzoli, Matt Talbot. Thanks so much for calling in. Thanks to Jess and Chris for being here. We'll catch you next time. We're live. <laughs>